welcome to A Bad Neighborhood. I'm your host, M, they, them, and this is Karen, she, her. Hi. Now we did that in reverse. (laughs) (laughs) I'm M, that's Karen. (laughs) One of us is right, and the other one is lying. (laughs) It turns out that we can talk faster than I can draw. So we're doing some other things with the podcast. Notably, uh, today we'll be discussing what I consider the originator of all creepypasta, more or less. It's the originator of the current incarnation of creepypasta. And I'm introducing it to Karen. Karen, what do you know about creepypasta? That lots of teenagers loved them when we were in school. Lots of teenagers that I didn't hang out with a lot and I was afraid to look up because I was afraid that if I looked it up, I'd somehow make my way into the dark web and then someone would come to my house and murder me. Or worse, a demon would infect my computer and come after me. I feel that. Mm -hmm. Creepypasta is... Well, like, I was one of those kids, for one, who was obsessed with creepypasta, because it was a a logical progression from my obsessive googling about ghosts and things like that in the early GeoCities Angel Fire days. And, you know, everybody had a web page that had a list of EVPs and journal entries, whatever, having to do with ghost hunting and, you know, with all the creepy photos it was it was a lot harder for people to differentiate real from fiction back in the early 2000s late 90s yeah the internet was more like a a giant forum back then mm-hmm. and you had no way of confirming a fact or anything like that we didn't have the sheer amount of information we could access today like literally you could go online and search an address and it costs maybe two fifty to find out who lives there, their phone numbers, their kids, all of that information. It's so easy to find. Mm-hmm. But, you know, back then it wasn't quite so easy. You couldn't confirm anything if you didn't have that information available right in front of you. You like you were still supplementing the internet with the library. Right. Creepypasta was something that actually arose from chain letters oh yeah Yeah, you 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 know all of those things right yeah email forwards send this to 10 people or the ghost of bloody mary's gonna come after you yeah exactly it was just the urban legend kind of thing you would get ones that would evolve from Various culture things, you know, so-and-so is going to stand over your bed and stab you for every time that you did not forward this. Because, like, people like to be scared. When Ted the Caver was put on the internet, uh, supplemented with photos, journal entries, dates, all of that kind of stuff, it actually, it spread. Yeah. A lot. It, It became basically the biggest influence on what creepypasta is today because a lot of creepypasta you read is written from the first person as a non-fiction account of an event that may or may not have happened to them it's a ghost story 
Yeah. You know, you hear from a friend of a friend that knows a guy who works at Nickelodeon and he saw Squidward's suicide, the lost episode. It's just how it happened. People wanted to take these things and make them frightening and they wanted mm-hmm. to make it seem realistic. I mean, these days it's going further and further away from the realistic, but like veering hard into some actually very impressive things that I've read before. But the the biggest thing about creepypasta is a lot of it tries to have enough basis in reality where you can suspend your belief for a little bit. So oftentimes they're vague enough they're factual enough that it it gives that nice veneer of credibility. Mm -hmm. Ted the Caver was published in 2001. It still is on the same webpage that I read when I was just a wee lad. It's, It's got photos and everything. That was the part that made it really believable. If you open that up, Karen. Oh, 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 it's interactive. Yeah. Updated 5-19-2001. Yes. Wow. Dude, that was 20 years ago. This is pre-9-11. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Ted the Caver is it, it started something different. It, it's presented as somebody's private blog. Mm-hmm. So you click through, you get the thing that prefaces the whole thing. You know, he he's saying people are asking and so i'm gonna tell them in december 2000 i went into this cave it hasn't actually ended yet but people are asking about it and i wanted to share it with them i'm not gonna tell you who was involved and i'm not gonna tell you the location and i took all the pictures and everything like that then the little clause of if you think these events sound far-fetched i agree i would have come to the same conclusion had i not experienced them You go in and it's literally text on black and then you have links embedded mm-hmm. for the photos. And these were great photos for 2001, I'm telling you. <laughs> oh man, different different texts mean different things. Yeah. Oh man, like different colors. Gray text is taken directly from my caving journal. The italicized blue text is my comment as I reflect on the experience. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Click to see a photo of a, the original opening. I put my glove in the hole for size reference. Wow. You can see how back then this was oh. something completely unheard of. My computer drawing. Yeah. Floyd's tomb. You know, it has enough factual evidence in there. Floyd Collins, for instance, he's mentioned the uh, little passage is called Floyd's tomb as an homage to Floyd Collins. And he was a a real life spelunker. Yeah, he explored caves in Mammoth Cave National Park. What he did was he got stuck. Like, for real? Yeah, he actually got stuck in there. He ended up dying because he got stuck. Wait, Floyd? Floyd Collins, yeah. William Floyd Collins. And that's why they called that little passage Floyd's Tomb, because it was so tight. Wow. It's little things, like, you could Google around and find these little factual bits. And even if 
you you couldn't look for it on the internet back then you could certainly find it in newspapers and things like that yeah between the photos the references the the first person accounts of everything ted the caver became the basis for all of creepypasta in 2001 that's neat i mean i don't i don't understand so floyd is a real live was a real life spelunker yes and he died in a cave yeah spelunking yeah this specific cave no okay he died in the mammoth cave national park which is in kentucky oh it's a little close to home (laughs) it was back in the 1920s and it was a huge huge news and media event he enjoyed looking and finding caves that to open to the public and at some point this man got stuck it was it was actually specifically in a passage in sand cave and according to wikipedia it's it was a narrow crawlway 55 feet below ground oof yeah that's that's deep so it took him two weeks to die oh oh that is yeah that is that is dreadful that is awful i okay (laughs) what basically happened in sand cave was there was a rock collapse Mm -hmm. and it closed the entry passage oh he was getting food and water from rescuers Mm -hmm. but it, it wasn't enough and so he was basically stuck in the dark could only talk to people in this little tiny crawlway and he died of exposure and it took them three days afterwards to even make a rescue shaft oh for it and it took them two months to recover his body oh jeez. he's famous for dying caving and being the the big new sensation of the time he was memorialized on his tombstone as the greatest cave explorer ever known wow yeah well i mean died doing what he wanted to do i guess that seems insensitive he probably didn't want to die like that but when you spelunk i think like people know the risk yeah there there's always that possibility it's the same when you do scuba diving or skydiving and uh his gravestone says trapped in sand cave january 30 1925 and Discovered Crystal Cave, January 18, 1917. Greatest cave explorer ever known. Well, that's nice, at least. (laughs) You actually find a lot of this information easily nowadays because people were so fascinated with the story. The actual place that these caves are in, people have been trying to figure out where is this cave that he's talking about. Because there are photos, it shows this thing, and the supposed author has come out and said this is actually what i was doing i just made up the end of it okay just to spice things up and i mean a lot of people have done that i've done that with my own things i used to take um uh videos and then edit in monster noises that we yeah. react to you know yeah so the cave that people think it is is called interstate caves that's why people would be saying like 
that's the noises that Ted the caver would have been hearing inside of the cave. Because in, in the story itself, there's a lot of complaints of strange noises. Uh-huh. I'm not going to spoil it for you because you haven't listened to it yet. Nope. <laughs> but I am giving you like the, the bits that are the hard facts. As a fact lover, I appreciate that. <laughs> I love them facts. Fact me for days. There was actually a little dispute over who the author was uh-huh. back in 2004-2005 because this story was published in 2001 as taking place in 2000. Later in 2004 there was a story called The Fear of Darkness by Thomas Lyra which puts the timeline between 1987 and 2004 and so some people were, were asking like or, or believing that this might be the original story. The thing with a lot of these references is that they don't exist anymore. Oh. Because it's so old. Yeah. You know? And as much as we want to say the internet is forever, there's some things that don't always stick around forever. Well, pages get bought up and, and die all the time. Yeah, back then, a lot of the internet was born in darkness and died in darkness. Nobody ever actually looked at these things, and it just kind of exists. So there's this whole layer of old internet where some things still are here to this day, and they exist as, like, perfect little snapshots of what internet 1.0 was. And then you have the constantly growing and changing uh, rest of the internet that we currently have. The original Ted the Caper is part of Internet 1.0. So when something happens in in these things, the internet was a lot smaller. It's a lot easier to find if somebody's talking about something that you've done. So mm-hmm. 2005, the Ted the actual Ted and Ted the Caper, though nobody knows if this is a real Ted, he says, <clears throat> quoted, I'm taking this from Know Your Mean, by the way, because they did a lot of the footwork here. As Dale mentioned, the cave was opened in the 70s, so someone could have been through before 1987, but not the new passage. As Ralph stated in the picture show, the story accurately describes the Floyd's tomb section of the cave, the opening, and the passage beyond, although I did take a few creative liberties there with the descriptions, such as the Blair Witch and the Ralph, Dale, or any one of the dozens of Utah cavers can testify to the approximate date the passage was opened. Now, did Thomas Lyra see all of this in a crystal ball to write about it accurately, or did someone swipe my work? <laughs> uh, I have also seen claims, too, that the equipment used in Ted the Caver wouldn't be as easy to acquire in 1987. And I actually, I agree with that <laughs> because it, it it has the distinct flavor of the early 2000s, the photos. Yeah. Uh, and, and you've seen them. They're JPEG-y and crunched and everything like that. There, there's a very different quality that photos from the aughts have from the 90s, the 80s, the 70s. Agreed. Yes. There's like a crispierness to them. There's a certain quality to it that when you look at it, like these days you could go back and alter something Mm -hmm. to make it look a particular way. But there's certain quality of photos that are specifically from that time. And there's a lot of things about caving that 
people don't realize uh there's a psychological element yeah i i mean that's why basements i don't the thing about caving and spelunking and everything is you had to be comfortable with a not seeing Uh or seeing very little and b shoving yourself in cramped places not knowing if you're gonna come out alive yeah that's a big fear don't like it sometimes there even if there's no danger people can panic yes and big big panic i think there's a name for it it's just called claustrophobia um that makes sense (laughs) well yeah i mean i guess if you're spelunking and you're you're creeping into these teeny tiny places yeah that makes sense and so when people panic uh it's harder to think and move the way that you should be and Mm -hmm. i've read in the past that some people experience sort of tightening feeling and it frightens them even more and feeds into it and it's a lot like when people are overconfident when they're diving oh yeah i mean it's the opposite of that but you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and I, i actually think it's interesting that uh not only is floyd collins referenced in ted the caver uh in you know is the namesake of a passage in there but it's also it's also referenced in a book that also played with a lot of uh a lot of standards of how stories should be presented in the the printed world uh he was mentioned in house of leaves which was published in 2000 is that that scary book or is it different? Am I thinking of a different thing? It, it's the it's the scary book. Okay. And I actually I still think a lot about this book. I've read it three times. I read it when I was in high school. It it did precede Ted the Caver, and I feel like whether or not intended, it feels like it it has a similar flavor. House of Leaves is way trippier though. It's almost a surrealist version of horror. Mm-hmm. But it definitely has the first-hand bits. It has all these comments and things like that. And it has the color coding, everything. Wow. I've read a lot of books, but House of Leaves really changed how people see the printed word. And so you do see more now people playing with the the format and it's an art form. Mm-hmm. The the way that the story is presented, along with how it's written, changes how you perceive the work. And that is a big part of Ted the Caver. Ted the Caver, I feel like the presentation of it is important, the contents are important, and the liberties taken are really important to the story as a whole. Because being what it is, being presented in such a plain way because back then this sort of story would have been something you see on a forum instead with people being able to interject and ask questions and everything like that but this was placed on a personal website black background white text a very simple layout because it's very internet 1.0 i was doing the same thing on my neopets web page (laughs) it's basic html and color-coded basic typeface and you know you have the photos that go along with it and you feel like you're following alongside ted the caver on his journey and the biggest thing about ted the caver 
is that there's no ending. Oh. Um, well, what 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 we would call the <laughs> ending is he says, "I will let you guys know what happens on this last trip." Ah, uh, so he did. Well, we know now since two thousand five that he's more than likely alive. Well, right, <laughs> but like the character, the character of Ted the Caver, he is indeed dead. Yeah, he did. He did. Would you say this is your favorite creepy pasta? I wouldn't call it my favorite. It's more like one of those ones that are near and dear, but not necessarily my favorite. It's it's the same feeling I have about Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity. Mm-hmm. I, I very much love them and I have a fondness for them because they they affected the culture of horror media so much. But I wouldn't call it my favorite. Mostly because uh, as creepypasta has evolved in the past 20 years there are so many more ways that creepypasta has been presented that i find really interesting and i would enjoy reading more because one of the problems with ted the caver is you need to have patience Mm. looking at it it's not interesting to look at it's not very interesting to actually read until you get into the part where things start happening and if you are listening to it the a lot of the videos that i found of people actually reading the story out for people it's two plus hours oh god which is yeah it's a big time sink so imagine you're reading it with your eyeballs that that might end up taking you more than two hours because you're also having to click through and look at these photos and look at everything and familiar with it maybe you want to do fact checking on it 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 was just one of those things where you pop it open to read a little bit at a time and it's very very dry and it because it's just some guy's little caving journal he wrote for himself the the most that happens are the little things tiny sounds or for a long time part of it is literally just talking about how difficult it was to open this little cave and go in yeah Uh, i re-listened to it actually while i was at work just to try to remember everything that happens i could guarantee if you could hang on past the first hour, things start picking up. But you have to be able to sit down and read it or have enough of an attention span listening to take it in because it's a slow-growing horror and curiosity that you experience alongside Ted. I think that that is like one of my favorite things about horror is that there's different flavors of it for everybody. Like you get the people who are like, oh, slashers don't do it for me. Like there's too much boob and not enough thought process or like there's not enough psychological horror for it. And then there's the people who are psychological horror fans, the people who are slasher fans who are like, I don't get all that cerebral shit. Like just shoot the fucking guy. I think that's probably one of the things that I really liked about the horror genre to begin with was that it was so broad. I I don't find a lot of uh, horror media frightening. 
uh, whether it's whether or if it scares me or not, I laugh. If somebody was coming at me with a knife, I would probably laugh awkwardly first and then run. Well, that's a common response <laughs> when you're afraid. Yeah, you're just you don't know what to do, so you're like, <laughs> oh shit. I mean, it's mainly because probably it's the absurdity of it, mm-hmm. like fear, the absurdity of a situation. I I think that's also why humor and horror are close together and good friends. Oh yeah. I mean that's why man door hook car hand door. <laughs> man hook man hook car man hook man hook. Man hook? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you know that's why you still get a lot of um parodies of yeah, creepy pasta yeah. cuz it is it's very hand in hand and it's easy to make. Now I personally, I really like the drier humor, not drier humor, but I do like dry humor, the drier creepypastas that read like real accounts because it's harder to laugh and it plays on the fear of the unknown because you don't know what's going to happen. But I mean, these days you have your cliches and in your tells and everything. You're like, yeah, this is very predictable. It's dry enough it sounds serious enough a lot of the times that it's hard to laugh at i think that that was why the one story that we listened to that shane and ryan did for christmas haunts or whatever the fuck it's called that's why it was so effective because it it was reading like this old man telling this story and then all of a sudden it just twisted and we're all just like oh what the fuck that one was um that one was are you scared yeah though you you're right that was a really good story um i'll probably throw a link under the thing so you know what we're talking about if you're interested so for ted the caver you're you're giving me this to listen to but it's it's given to us in this format of a website and it's probably meant to be ingested that way as opposed to listened to but you know me that i have a hard time reading yeah (laughs) versus listening while i i personally prefer to read it i specifically actually linked the dark somnium version of it because it's a different presentation however the editor the reader of it has also provided the pictures during key moments. That was going to be another thing. So if you're listening to it on YouTube and you have it maybe propped up nearby, uh, it's very obvious when a photo comes on the screen because it it has this dark background and this endlessly looping cave that the thing, it's, it's just dark. And then the photos are bright so you'd instantly be able to look up and go oh okay he also provides sound effects for the atmosphere when people are speaking he gives it the appropriate atmosphere distance everything like that and like because i read it i listened to it to make sure that it would be something that i would personally consider to be a good way to present it without having to read it a good representation yeah obviously it doesn't have the same sort of eerie charm that reading on an internet 1.0 site would have 
with its grainy images and everything and like the very <laughs> factual way that it's presented and your own mental switch back and forth but again the the reader in the version that i'm linking uh does a really good job differentiating both the parts that are from the journal and the parts that are happening in the narrative so i think it's a really good version cool i'm really excited <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited. To, I'm scared and excited. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it frightening necessarily. Right. Not just because I'm me, but I think that it's scary in the same way that Paranormal Activity now is scary in that it was scary. Oh, you give me so much credit where it is not due. <laughs> well... Then you'll have to tell me about how much it frightens you. I will love that. Oh, I that. will. I will. I will tell you <laughs> how scared I am. I'm already scared. <laughs> I'm, the sun is going down, so it's getting spooky. So I don't know that I'll be listening to it tonight, but <laughs> maybe tomorrow. I mean, worst case scenario, we could we could have it playing in Discord while... Oh. Uh, we we play fast why would why why would do you think that's a good idea <laughs> what? because i'll be here <laughs> but, but, i don't even have the sound playing in phasmophobia anymore i turned it down <laughs> and i still can't do it i put the book down in my training earlier today i put the book down and immediately die 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 I was like nope <laughs> And then I walked out, went back to the van, hadn't turned the video camera on. Oh, you poor thing. And I was like, well, <laughs> I fucking hate this. I'm so easily frightened. Now I'm really jazzed. Good. <laughs> Good, because probably what's going to happen is the person, like, if Chills read it, it might be different. <laughs> Ted the Caver. <laughs> I love Chills. Oh. I love his voice. I love everything about his channel. I, 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 I can never get sick of Chills. I just love him. Love his voice. Love his face. Love his arms. Love his music. Love his vibe. Love everything. The top 15 of Chills. He's just so chill. Just relaxes me, man. I, I watch it. I laugh a bit. I... I I enjoy myself and I go, Chills, you know what's going on. Yeah, you like this, buddy. <laughs> what's his song that, uh, the one that really zends me out is the... Yeah, this is now the Chills uh, fan cast. This is the, <laughs> the swap meet. It's just, it's just good content. Thank you for listening to A Bad Neighborhood. Consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clornspats. C-L-O-R-I-N-S-P-A-T-S I hope you have a good night.